Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis. I am a future shaper and oversee global marketing here at Honeywell. Today, I'm joined by a couple of Honeywell's finest engineers, Willie Morissette, who's a chemical engineering expert, and Tony Barnett, a principal technical sales engineer, who are going to talk with me about refineries, renewable fuels, and just about anything else related to that industry. And we have reason to talk about these subjects with Willie and Tony. They work for a business that is called Honeywell UOP, and it's been part of nearly every important innovation in refining in the last 100 years. And I'm gonna to talk to them a bit about that history and how Honeywell plays in the world of petroleum, petrochemical production, but I'm also going to talk a little bit about how the refining industry is looking at green options. For instance, in 2018, a plane flew from Los Angeles, California to Melbourne, Australia, powered by fuel derived from plants. And to be more precise, the Trans-Pacific flight was fueled by Carinata seeds, a non-edible mustard seed. And I'll get to the pronunciation of Carinata in a minute. The fuel can replace as much as half of the petroleum jet fuel used during a flight. That is technology that these gentlemen know a little something about. So, Willie and Tony, welcome. Nice to be here. I introduced the segment talking a little bit about mustard seeds, Carinata, um, which for those podcast listeners, uh, just before we got started, Willie and I were chatting about this, and he, he admitted that he called it carnitas for the first couple of times, um, which I was pretty sure I was going to say just as I was reading the introduction. But what made us think about utilizing this as a form of energy, Willie? What came about that allowed us to think of that as an opportunity? Well, one of the things that we're looking at are certain plant-based materials that are high in fatty acids. And also what's important is that we're looking for stable feedstocks to go into the refinery process that does not necessarily compete with the food products. We're looking at products that can be grown for purpose, not necessarily to compete with um, carnitas, if you will. <laughs> well, it's actually right. It's corn that that's always that's been a big issue with that, right? That, that is definitely one of them, right? Because yeah. that's an edible food source. Yeah. And actually, let me let Tony speak a little bit more to that in case there's things that he wants to add on that as well. Thanks. Yeah, the the carinata seeds actually um, come from a, a, a family that includes not only the mustard but canola. So. They um, have similar growing habits and growing patterns, and these carinata can actually be grown on farmlands over the wintertime between food crops, and it actually improves the quality of the land um, during that time, and it in addition gives farmers an additional cash crop. Carinata seeds also can be harvested using a lot of the same equipment that use soy and canola and other seed crops that the farmers already use. That's really interesting. So it's it's not just sustainability from the end use in terms of powering um, things like jet fuel, but it's also a sustainable product for farmers. Yes. Yeah, actually coming from Illinois where uh, UOP, Honeywell UOP Displains is uh, located, that's actually a key point because when you look at times where you have stranded crops for various uh, market forces, if you will, uh, these crops, in the case of soybeans and other things, while they're used for food, alternatively, they can also be used to supply fatty acid to uh, equifining processes. Yeah, and soybean is used, is one of the highest volume feedstocks used in what we call first generation biodiesel production. But there are a lot of uh, benefits that renewable diesel and renewable jet fuel have over 
um, biodiesel, one being the ability to produce jet fuel um, to, to uh, power airplanes, um, which isn't available with the other process. But these crops like this, uh, another key aspect to them is that the meal that's produced can be used for other uses. And in this case, Carinata's meal is actually very good for animal feed. So the meal is what's left over after the uh, fatty acids have been extracted. Yes, exactly. Okay. Interesting. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change the subject slightly because as somebody who knows a little bit about um, Honeywell UOP and its uh, history, it's sort of surprising that I'm talking to you guys about these alternative energy uh, sources, given um, the connection we've had to the oil and gas industry for so long, or at least my perception initially is that it's a, a surprise. How does UOP um, and Honeywell overall make a decision to look into investment in this technology? I think uh, you really go back about uh, about 12 years and um, UOP Honeywell saw the future demand for biofuels growing and they saw globally the, the, the growing interest in this. Um, and they looked at it and said, right now the answers are fuels like ethanol and biodiesel, which require a lot of special handling to be used as fuels. They can mm-hmm. only be blended to a certain amount. And UOP looked at that and said, you know, we have hydroprocessing technology that we have decades of experience in the petroleum industry that can be modified slightly to produce, to process these uh, renewable fats, oils, and greases and produce high quality drop-in biofuels, um, fuels that are completely hydrocarbon fuels that are chemically indistinguishable from their petroleum counterparts, but can result in reduction of uh, CO2 emissions by 80 or 90%. So in essence, you just basically took process technology that we've been developing for decades um, that's been traditionally used on petroleum products and applied it to this new application. Correct. And and Joe, I, I like the way you make that sound very simple. <laughs> that, Willie, that's how I roll. <laughs> but you, but you're right. That's the that's the outcome of it. But what I would like to point out is that the know-how to get you to that simplicity, if you will, there's a lot of dedicated engineers and research people building on literally decades, if not a century, of knowledge to figure out how to bring in these types of feedstocks into a refinery, which is in the wheelhouse that we understand very well. But that advantage allows us to work with the refiners with a common language, with a common set of technologies. And that allows us to get to commercialization a lot faster, more efficiently, and in some ways more appropriately. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's it's funny when I talk to all of our innovators in, in different uh, parts of, of Honeywell, I always oversimplify. That's sort of my specialty, guys, with the <laughs> with the goal of saying, Listen, in order to get simple, you have to figure out complex first. And the hard part is to bring that complexity down to simple. That's the fun part. UOP has developed methodologies to scaling small scale to full commercial scale. So it's easy to think it's easy because we make it look easy. So let's get a little bit of perspective on the potential for this technology. Because right now, let's be honest, it's a niche opportunity Do you see that this could be something big for the industry in, say, 10, 20, 50 years? Yeah, let me take that one and start by saying I think I think so, because by solving these types of problems, how to integrate non-traditional feedstocks into our energy structure, if you will, 
not only does that allow us to sort of turn a corner on not just traditional oil, but moving away to other sources, uh, there's an impact on the environment. There's also an impact on the way you look at the overall fuel system. And that's useful because that gets us into the topics that we're looking at today called the refineries of the future, mm-hmm. where these types of innovations are allowing us to look at how technology is being implemented, not just in the traditional ways, but in new ways to going forward to be sustainable. And, and that's a key thing. So so you brought up a really interesting part, Willie, and thank you for uh, making this beautiful segue to the refinery of the future, which is something I've been hearing a lot about, which is... Um, you know, sort of the the changing landscape amongst our uh, amongst our customer base, refineries around the world. Maybe for those who are less familiar, Willie, you could talk a little bit about what refineries have traditionally set up the, their their operation and and what they're having to do to change it. Yeah, I can speak to to a certain degree. Uh, let me just start off by painting a picture. If you look at the traditional ways that refineries work, uh, you pull the the crude oil out of the ground. Um, and this ground could be anywhere from 10 miles to a couple of hundred miles away. So you get it to a refinery and then you take this oil and you basically fractionate it into products like jet fuel, diesel, gasoline, light gases. And then you spend time upgrading that to make it more useful for our current technology, breaking bonds, putting hydrocarbons back together. That's a traditional way. Uh, what we're looking at as fuel demands are changing, as needs are changing, it's really focusing on how do we take not just crude oil, but various uh, feedstocks and more efficiently break those molecules apart, putting them back together as efficiently as possible. And in doing that, it allows the refinery of the future basically to make molecules on demand that they really need and minimize the waste of what they don't need. And in doing that, you're also minimizing the energy as well as emissions. And, and that's kind of core to what we see as the refinery of the future. So, Tony, what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? I, I see your, your, your role, principal technical sales engineer. What the heck does that mean? Well, it's uh, very specific towards our technologies that convert these um, seed oils and animal fats and waste greases to transportation fuels, primarily jet and and diesel. Um, My role is something of as the technical expert in these technologies. Um, I support our customers' requests for uh, opportunities that they may see for producing renewable fuels, um, help complete technical and economical evaluations and uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, that comes from both refiners who have experience with this sort of technology, and it can be easily adapted within a refinery or next to a refinery to take advantage of all the infrastructure that those facilities place. Um, but also from renewable fuels project developers who oftentimes are looking at these in what we would call a greenfield site where you not only need to provide the process, but all of the supporting equipment and systems around it. So um, my day-to-day activities can change significantly. I can imagine. How about you, Willie? What's your role? My role is as an account manager. Uh, I've been at Honeywell UOP for about 28 years through various aspects, whether it's uh, field operating services, 
R&D technical specialist in hydro processing and in platforming. Um, and as an account manager, my key focus is to basically manage the relationship with a couple of key refining companies or petrochemical companies to bring the right technical fit that we have to offer to meet their needs and help them understand their needs. Uh, and that's also how I got involved with uh, the echo finding process. One of the things that I love talking to Honeywell innovators about is their look at what's going to happen in the future. And for those who are working in your field, I have to imagine that the future is going to look very different than it does today. As you're talking to customers and talking to your own engineers, what does the industry look like 25 years from now? Well, in one way, it may look very similar to what you see now. Um, I think a lot of, it's like an iceberg, a lot of what makes for the change occurs under the surface. Um, you know, the technology is very adaptable to different types of feedstocks, but right now what we're getting is what I call the low hanging fruit. You know, the feedstocks that are already readily available like animal fats and um, seed oils and such. But then you get these feeds like Carinata, which, um, you know, offer an approach that maybe isn't initially seen a lot because there isn't a huge demand, but as all those low hanging fruit feedstocks start to disappear, um, feeds like Carinata are gonna become very important. Uh, the, the growth in renewable diesel, renewable jet fuel over the last 10 years has been phenomenal, but we have hardly scratched the surface of the demand uh, for what these fuels, 50% uh, of the jet fuel uh, would give us 45 billion gallons a year of required jet fuel. So, you know, we're, we're wow. still a long ways from that. So I think things will look very much the same because we're always trying to keep the equipment and such that use these fuels as unchanged as possible because it's simply less expensive than replacing them. But coming up with fuels that, you know, can can be burned in these engines and jet turbines without having the same volume of CO2 emissions into the atmosphere, I think, is what's really going to be the big change. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, looking at increasing the efficiencies of refining, refinery processes, looking at where we're bringing the varieties of feedstocks into the refineries. Tony, that's an excellent example. I mean, that's what happens below the waterline of the iceberg, if you will. And that's where a lot of these changes are occurring. That's what keep a lot of the refiners up, up at night. Uh, and part of it is also looking at the safety of the refinery, especially in the U.S. You have a lot of aging uh, refinery equipment. And as you look to update these refineries, you're not updating for what happened last year. You're looking to update for what's going to happen in the future. And that's really what's exciting about this is that you know, from Honeywell UOP's perspective, we are actually playing a role with not just investing in the R&D for new technologies, but looking at this from a future scope, if you will, whether it's uh, echofining or isoalkyl to make um, certain alkylation processes more safe, uh, even looking at how refineries utilize water more efficiently. All of these are pulling in the right direction uh, to make it a more efficient process. And I think that's the biggest change is how do you get to this efficiency, which also increases profitability.
So, Tony and Willie, um, I have as part of this podcast a special segment that I close on each time, and I ask uh, three questions. Uh, but since there's two of you, it's technically six questions, I guess. I'm going to ask each of you each of these questions, and we'll start with um, with Tony. So, um, Tony, when you were uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> I see a lot of people that struggle with their decisions of what they want to do and where they want to go to school. When I was 12 years old, I said, I want to be a chemical engineer and I want to go to the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. No, you did not. There's no way. I, I applied at one school and I got my acceptance and I went to School of Mines and became a chemical engineer. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Don't hear it very often. No. 12 years old? Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Busy blowing things up with household chemicals in my <laughs> kitchen. All right. Well, we, you're putting it to good use now. I appreciate that. Willie, how about you? Believe it or not, I'm not that different than Tony. Um, I was fortunate enough to compete in science fair competitions all throughout high school, even some parts of my early grade schools. Because of that, I was exposed to chemistry and chemical engineering at an early age. So for me, it was, I mean, that was literally what I did for fun while people were playing football and other sports. Uh, my sport really was uh, preparing for science fair competitions, as nerdy as that sounds. Um, <laughs> and, and in doing that, there was some blowing up of things. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the, the good part about graduating from U of I, uh, you do have the perspective of using chemistry for good. And I've, I've, I haven't blown up anything since. Uh, we we certainly appreciate that. Well, I know uh, I clearly I was never going to become a chemical engineer. I never thought about that at age 12, but I'm sure happy that you guys did. All right. So question number two, um, this one to you, Willie, first. What is a piece of technology you cannot live without? <laughs> well, for me, I would probably say it's my iPhone, but there's so many pieces of technology, whether it's the iPhone or the car, uh, mm. but I will say my iPhone iPhone. All right, Tony. Hate to be cliche, but it's probably the same thing, although mine tends to get used in equal parts work and uh, entertainment. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a lot of music yeah. streaming. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've been asking this question and Cassie, you and I are going to have to work on this for season two because it, it's almost universally the iPhone. But it's so funny that uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we didn't have it. And so <laughs> we would have had a very different answer just uh, just a decade ago. Funny how quickly we can become reliant on something. All right, last question. I think this is always a good one to really understand people. Uh, Tony, how many unread emails are in your inbox right now? One. No way. I am fanatical about keeping my inbox clean. It drives me crazy. I have coworkers, I won't name any names, that I have seen their inboxes during meeting presentations where they'll have in the hundreds or even over a thousand. And that would drive me crazy. Uh, one. Wow. Willie, can you beat one? I am one of the people who really makes Tony upset. I have <laughs> a variety of emails to get to. But I figure if they email me more than once, I know it's really important. So what's the number? Um, you mean for today? I just, there's a number that's written next to unread messages. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to say for today, I'm at about 30. But uh, if I look at how many messages in my inbox, <laughs> this is a significant number. Okay. 30 is not considered significant. No. <laughs> All right. Well, Tony, I can tell you, you have now broken the record. The, the future is podcast record. It was previously six. It is now one. Congratulations. Um, you do not want to look at my inbox because it is triple digits. Um, so it would drive you crazy. But um, thank you both, Willie and Tony, for uh, joining us today. Um, I had a lot of fun and, uh, and learned a lot from both of you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. Don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. This episode was edited and produced by Cassie Cope.